This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Someone very extremely special in the Jewish uh, life, and that is Hillel Hazaken, Hillel the Elder. Hillel the Older. Who is Hillel the Older? And the answer is he was uh, one of the Zugot, the pairs of rabbis after the Anshay Knesset HaGadola. So let's go into a little bit of history. When Ezra HaSofer came back to Israel um, and rebuilt the second temple in around 300 BCE, around approximately 300 BCE, and uh, Ezra HaSofer and Anshay Knesset HaGadola were the leaders of Klal Yisrael in Yerushalayim. And eventually what happened is the Romans, unfortunately, conquered Israel. Well, they did it very surreptitiously. Israel probably still had a king, and, uh, but the Romans were pretty much in control. So even though we had, we had a king under the Maccabees, the last of the Maccabees, um, unfortunately, the Romans were very much in control. And because of that, the Sanhedrin says, you know what? We need to appoint a spiritual leader. So not one spiritual leader, but two spiritual leaders. They called the first one a Nasi, the prince. And the second one was the Av Beidin. The second one was called the Av Beidin, the leader of the Beidin, the head of the Beidin. So the Beidin that time was the Sanhedrin Agadol, 71 judges, which had a location in the hall of hewn stones, which was right next to the Beit HaBikdash. So any questions of halakha would come to them. And probably they had also other issues as well. The future of Judaism and the future of uh, what's going to happen in Israel, political questions, and they try to keep away from the political questions, especially in the time of Hillel and Shammai. In the time of Hillel and Shammai, which we're going to talk about, uh, we'll mention Shammai just a little bit, uh, in the time of Hillel, uh, the king of, of Judah at that time was... Herod the Great. Herod the Great was no friend of the rabbis, and he killed and tortured many rabbis. And uh, you can see the fact that Hillel was not killed or tortured either. He was too popular, and Herod feared the backlash, or just he was very careful what he talked about. So Hillel and Shammai were very, very cautious individuals. They never got anyone upset. They never got Herod the king upset, never got the Romans upset. They just were very, very cautious, very, very uh, political, politically minded, what they said, how they said it, very, very careful. And let's talk a bit about it. But Hillel the Elder was born. I call him Hillel the Elder because there are other Hillels, his descendants. He had a whole line of descendants going over 400 years. Imagine all the leaders, with one exception of Yohanan ben Zakkai, which we're going to talk about, one of his students, all the leaders of Klal Israel for over a period of 400 years were descendants of Hillel Akadol, this Hillel, his Hillel the Elder, and the younger Hillel, there were two younger Hillels, uh, Hillel, the, the, what's called uh, Hillel Hanasiah, Hillel the Prince, uh, number one, and then Hillel the Prince, number two. And uh, one of them made the Jewish calendar. They calculated the Jewish calendar, which is amazing, all the way to the year 6,000. But it wasn't Hillel the first. In time of Hillel the first, when we're talking about Hillel the Elder, um, the moon was already being reported to the Sanhedrin by witnesses. And therefore, the calendar was not something calculated. It was totally not calculated. And it was, Kiddush uh, HaChodesh was done every month. They sanctified the new moon every month, depending on the witnesses. Anyway, so that's a bit of history. Because Hillel, uh, the elder, lived during the time of the Second Temple and the time of the Sanhedrin. And the months were still being fixed by uh, sight, by two witnesses and the Sanhedrin. So Hillel 
was born around the year 110 BCE. 110 BCE, and the temple was destroyed in 70 CE approximately, and therefore he was way before the destruction of the second temple, even though he lived 120 years. So he lived 120 years. He died in about 10 CE. He died 60 years before the destruction of the second temple, and uh, which is uh, not such a great time in Jewish history, but he never saw the destruction. He saw the Beit HaMikdash, the second temple. He saw a thriving community, unfortunately, with the Romans and Herod and all the, with all the problems. You know, we think we have problems today. It was nothing compared to the problems they had in those days. Nothing with the political problems, uh, the intersonine killings and, and fighting between Jews. Unfortunately, Sinat Kinnam, we have no idea what it was like in those days. We have to be grateful for what we have today. We think it's bad today, but at least Jews are not killing Jews. But Israel Hashem never will. And Israel Hashem, uh, things will get better. We'll become more friendly to each other. We have to. There's no other choice. We have to live together. We have to learn to live together. Anyway, so Hillel was born around 110 BCE in Babylon. He was born in Babylon which is interesting, which we heard the Gemara discusses that a little bit. And the only recorded sibling that he has was uh, his brother called Shevna. His brother's name was Shevna, a very successful businessman. So at the age of 40, Hillel desires to study more Torah. And apparently in Babylon at that time, there was not so much Torah available. There's no Yeshivot. And he moves to Yerushalayim, where he studies under the two, the Zugot, which said the pairs of rabbis, one was the Abedin, one was the Nasi of Shemaya and Aftalion. He studied under the great rabbis Shemaya and Aftalion in Yerushalayim, and he was very, very poor. Now, why was Hillel chosen as the prince? He had some blood on his mother's side, which doesn't really count, but still, he, was, he had some blood descendant of David Melech on his mother's side, not on his father's side. His father's side was from Binyamin, Shevet Binyamin, the tribe of Benjamin. You know, mainly two tribes survived, Judah and Benjamin. The ten tribes were lost, not really, but we lost track of them. A lot of them came back to Judah and they intermarried with Judah and uh, Benjamin. And therefore, the two main tribes that survived that we know of are Judah and Benjamin. So, for example, Mordechai was uh, called a Yehudi from Yehuda, even though he was a Benjamite. So he's Ishiamini from Benjamin, but he's also Yehudi because the main tribe was Yehuda. So most Jews were identified either as Binyamin or Yehuda or the Levi'im or Kohanim. So he had four types of Jews in those days. Hillel was from the tribe of Binyamin, but his mother's side apparently was very famous. She was a direct descendant of David Amela. So like Rashi, Rashi was also a direct descendant of David Amela through his mother's side. And uh, Hillel was way before him. Maybe Rashi's descendant from Hillel, but not vice versa. So Hillel was, uh, that's why he was chosen to be the prince because he did have, even though it's on the wrong side of the family, he did have lineage going back to David Melech, which is very important. And uh, they made him the prince. They appointed him as the prince, but not because of his lineage, but more because of his knowledge. So let's just talk a bit about that. Hillel was very poor in the younger days. He was a woodchopper. Can you imagine? A woodchopper becomes the chief rabbi, a woodchopper. In those days, all rabbis had traits, unless they were very, very wealthy. And self-sufficient. Each one had a trade. Yochanan Hassamdlar. Rabbi Yochanan Hassamdlar. Rabbi, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania, who would make uh, charcoal. Rabbi Yochanan ben Hassamdlar was a sandler. He would make shoes. And so on. Hillel was uh, a woodchopper. Shammai was a builder. 
each rabbi, they were not sustained by the community. They would earn their own living till uh, about four or 500 years ago, till the Ramah came along. The Ramah says, uh, rabbi, you should take money because they can't do two things. It's just too much for human beings today to do. But in those days, the great rabbis also supported themselves. Mostly they support themselves. No such thing as learning at a kolel. Um, they would study under ter- terrifically hard situations. They would burn the midnight oil with, if they could afford candles. They would learn and study in poverty. A lot of them, most of them were poverty pov- paupers. Uh, a few exceptions from Judah Nasi, who was a descendant of Hillel, the great Judah, the prince who wrote the Mishnah, very, very wealthy. Um, Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria, who was mentioned in the Seder in Haggadah, Hare Anika ben Shimshan, who was appointed also as the head of the Sanhedrin. He was tremendously wealthy. Uh, there were there were a few. Rabbi Akiva eventually we talked about last week. Eventually became very wealthy, but most of the great rabbis at that time were very poor. Hillel was one of the poor rabbis, and uh, the expense of traveling to Israel caused his financial state to worsen even more. He would earn. The Talmud says he would earn half a dinar, dinar, not dinner, but half a dinar uh, for an entire day's work. And the fee for attending the yeshiva, those they mentioned, they charged entrance fees, was half was a quarter of a dinar. So he earned half a dinar a day for his, selling his wood, which he collected, and he paid half of that at a quarter of a dinar for entrance fees for the yeshiva of Shmaya Talion. And it says the famous story is one Friday, it was very cold, and he couldn't afford the half a dinar, the quarter of a dinar entrance fee, and he went up to the roof of the academy on the skylight and it snowed over there and he got frozen and when they came in Shmaya Naftalion came in on, the, on Shabbat morning they see this shadow a silhouette of a man on the skylight they go up there and they take him down he's you know they see Hillel frozen over there and they say for such a man it's a tremendous mitzvah to break Shabbat when they, they lit a fire for him they broke Shabbat for him you know the truth is you can break Shabbat for any Jew who's who's in a perilous state but they said for Hillel, it's a pleasure to break Shabbat. <laughs> it's, it's a big honor to break Shabbat to save Hillel's life. He's such a big tzaddik. He would, he would give anything to learn Torah. He would, he would risk his life to learn Torah. So that's the famous story of Hillel studying Torah in uh, tremendous poverty. And uh, Hillel's brother, the town, the town says, was Shevna. We know his name was Shevna. Shevna was a very successful businessman. So Hillel's brother, Shevna, is very wealthy. One day he comes to Hillel, his brother, with a proposition. I'll support you with money. I'll put you in cola, basically. I'll support you, and I'll get a share in your Torah. And you know, Hillel told him, he says, sorry, my, my share of Torah is not for sale. I'm not going to give you any portion of Torah. Now, that seems a little bit mean, but he wanted everything. This is a, a sign. In other words, if a person is ready to give their Torah away, it means that they don't really believe that it counts so much. If a person could see how much reward there is in learning Torah, they wouldn't be so ready to give it away. So Hillel says, you know what, Shevna, my brother, I thank you for your proposition, but I'm going to stay, I'm going to be poor and study Torah, and it's a tremendous reward in store for that. And it's tremendously rewarding to study in poverty. Lefum Sara Agra, we're going to see in Pirkei Avot, if you read Pirkei Avot, where the custom is, Sephardic custom between between uh, Pesach and Shavuot, the, the six weeks, we read the six chapters of Pirkei Avot every Shabbat, uh, one chapter. So we have to read Pirkei Avot. In fact, that's a direct uh, relationship to this class. 
because Hillel is mentioned in the first two chapters of Brikavot. Hillel is mentioned all the sayings of Hillel, first two chapters of Brikavot. We're going to go through some of the sayings. So now what happens is, let me just go through some Talmud over here, just to go through. So this is a statement of Reish Makish. This is the Gemara in Sukkah, Tafkaf, Ahmad Aleph. And Reish Lakish says, Amar Reish Lakish, Hareni Kapara, Rabbi Chia Ubana. I am the atonement for Rabbi Chia and his sons. What does that mean? It's interesting because if you go to Tiveria and you climb this very steep, hikey uh, uh, staircase, you'll get, you'll see a big sign over there, Rabbi Chia and his sons. Rabbi Chia and his sons, Sadikim, tremendous Sadikim. It says when they prayed the Shemona Esrei together, they nearly broke Mashiach. And Hashem had to disturb them so they wouldn't concentrate in their, in their prayers because when they said Mashiva Ruach Geshem, the wind uh, blew and the rain fell. And when they got to Mechayeh Mitim, the earth was trembling and quickly Hashem sent someone to go and sidetrack them so they wouldn't continue so the Mashiach would not come straight away. Anyway, so Rabbi, Rabbi Shrishaki says, I am a kapara for Rabbi Chia and his sons. What does that mean? When the Torah was forgotten from Israel, Allah Ezra Mibabil, Ezra Sofer came from Babylon, we said, and he rebuilt the second temple. He brought back the Torah to Israel. That's why it's called Ezra HaSofer. A Sofer could be a scribe, which he was, but he's also a counter. A Sofer can also be a counter. Sirat the Omer, we count the Omer. Ezra HaSofer would count every single letter in the Torah. Every, every letter. He knew the meaning of every single letter in the Torah. He was a counter. He counted every single letter. And uh, every single Jew, Moshe Rabbeinu counts them many times in the Torah. Every single Jew counts. We add up. Every, every single Jew, every individual is precious. Every letter of Torah is precious. He was the counter of the letters of the Torah. So Ezra Sofer came from Babylon and we are Torah. And he founded the Torah in Israel. So what happened is the Torah got forgotten again. Allah Hillel Mibabel. Hillel came from Babylon. He founded the Torah in Israel. So the Torah is getting forgotten. It's interesting, all the great rabbis. And Hillel had to come from Babylon and teach them Torah, which we're going to see how. But he studied with Shemayin after It wasn't the Torah that he learned in Babylon. It was the Torah that he learned in Israel from Shemayin Aftalion. He just learned it well. He just learned it better. He just learned it better than anyone else. He remembered it better than anyone else. And he knew answers to questions which were posed that no one could remember. So when he forgot the Torah, when the Torah was forgotten again, Alu Rabbi Chia and his sons came from Babylon and they refounded. So after Rabbi Chia, now we can understand what Rabbi Rishlakish is saying, after Rabbi Chia and his sons who came, he says, I am the Kapara. Rishlakish says, I am the Kapara of Rabbi Chia and his sons. In other words, the Torah is revived through me. That's, that's, that's the implication. It may not be true, but it's the implication of what you were saying. I am his uh, Kapara. There's another Gemara. And this Gemara is in uh, Sota and uh, Sota Memchet Amabet. And the Gemara says, when the prophets, the late prophets died, the late, latest of the prophets, who are the late prophets? Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. When they passed away, Nistalka Ruach HaKodesh Israel. There was no more prophecy among the Jews, says Ruach HaKodesh. No more divine spirit among the Jews when the, when the late prophets died. Hathopikein. But there was such a thing called a batkol. A batkol means um, a very distant kind of Ruach Kodesh, the lowest level of Ruach Kodesh. 
And we find this in the Talmud. Uh, there's a bat call when Hillel, uh, Beit Hillel, Beit Shammai were arguing. And the bat call comes and says, the halach is like Hillel, which we're going to talk about, Beit Hillel. And uh, once it says the rabbis, the great rabbis were having a meeting. It says they were having a meeting. They were eating in the, in the attic of Beit Guria in Yericho. Yeah, Yericho is a Jewish city. We have to realize that. There was a back call they heard from heaven. And told them there is one person here in your gathering. That is fitting that he should be a prophet. But the generation doesn't have the merit. There's one person there but who can be a prophet, but the generation is not worthy for him to let be a prophet. So what happened is the back call did not say who it was, but what it says is Everyone looked at Hillel Hazaken because they realized he must be the one who's fitting for prophecy today. Interesting. So that was something which uh, the other rabbis recognized him as one of the greatest. They didn't look at Shammai, they looked at Hillel. So the question is, why didn't they look at Shammai? So now I have a beautiful, this is a beautiful Gemara over here. This is a famous Gemara in Shabbat, which lists the interactions between these are famous stories of non-Jews who converted to Judaism through Hillel. And they converted to Judaism through Hillel because of Hillel's patience and his way of answering their hard questions, their interesting questions, whereas Shammai would turn them away, Hillel would draw them closer. So these are fantastic stories. I just want to read you some of these stories. So the rabbi said in a brighter, and this brighter is also precavot, a person should be humble like Hillel. A person, we should try our best to emulate the humility of Hillel, which we're going to have to talk about. Uh, the humility of Hillel was renowned. Everyone knew that Hillel was the most humble person in the world. In fact, humility is one of the secret ingredients to get to prophecy, humility. So uh, Hillel had that trait. A person wants to be a prophet, what do you do? You study a famous book called The Path of the Just, written by the Ramchal, which is based on a statement of Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair, who was either the father-in-law of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, big Kabbalist, or the son-in-law of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai. The big discussion who he was, was he the father-in-law? Probably he's the father-in-law of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai. He is buried in uh, Tiberias, Tiberia, at the bottom, sorry, he's buried in Sfat, at the bottom of the Sfat Cemetery. The Sfat Cemetery is famous, it has the Ariza, it has Rabbi Yosekaro, but at the, they're at the top of the mountain. Its whole cemetery is a mountain, you can imagine. So uh, the best thing to do is start at the top and then work down. And the bus parks at the top, lets you off, and then it picks you up from down below, so you don't have to climb the mountain again, otherwise you have to reclimb the mountain. If you go by car, uh, either climb up, from the bottom and then you climb down, or if you go and you park at the top, you climb down and then you climb back up. So, so anyway, Rapin Chasmiya is right at the bottom of the mountain, he's right at the bottom of Sfat, and there's a little grave, and then there's a path around it. There's a sugula for walking around that path around the kever of Rabbi Pinchas Binyair. Anyway, let's go back to the topic of Hillel. Be humble. So he said humility is one of the ingredients to become a prophet. And that's uh, in the statement of Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair, on which the whole book of Path of the Just Mustadi Sharim of the Ramchal is based. 
how to become a prophet is based on the different levels given Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yair. And one of the levels is Anava of humility. And that's why it says the greatest prophet was the greatest person with humility. Now is Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu. Anav mikol adam. He was humble, more humble than anyone else. He was the most humble person alive at that time. And that's why he became the greatest prophet. Because the dangers of prophecy is that you get a message from Hashem and the message is filtered through a person's ego. It's very hard to be a translator because the translator might get carried away and mistranslate and put their own thoughts into the translation. And that's why it says the Sanhedrin had to know 70 languages to be on the Sanhedrin. This way they didn't need translators. You're not allowed to have a translator for anyone who comes to the Sanhedrin. A Jewish court must not have a translator. All the judges on the court must be able to understand. Some people say they all have to understand, or three of them have to understand what the person is saying, because then you have a miniature Beidin who are vouching for the fact that this is the true translation, because a lot gets lost in translations. Uh, someone came to me once, I was in uh, Highland Park, and he's really moved to uh, America, and uh, they took me, I, I was so kind, they take me to do their written driving test. You're allowed to bring someone to help you with the language. And it turned out that they expected, this person expected not just to me translate what the question was, he also wanted me to write down the answer as well for him. So that's the dangers of a translator. The translator might, might actually tra- change what the person says. Anyway, to be on the Sanhedrin, that's why Mordechai was on the Sanhedrin, since he knew 70 languages, but you need at least three when it says people on the Sanhedrin who need who knows 70 languages. Ideally, all 70 rabbis, all 71 rabbis know the 70 language. Anyway, Hillel was, the Talmud says, a person should be uh, a humble person like Hillel and not a kapdan, not someone who is very, very, you know, as a person should be easygoing and not be a stickler. Not be a stickler like Shammai. Hillel was easygoing and Shammai was a stickler. When it came to laws, this is the law, and that's it. Hillel says, you know what? Let's see what's going on. Let's examine the situation. Right now, maybe not a good time, but maybe later on we can do something. Anyway, let's see the, the stories over here, the beautiful stories. Shemru. So the first story is not about a convert. It's about two Jews who took a bet, a wager. Everyone knew that Hillel was humble and never lost his temper. By the way, never tried this on me. <laughs> so... How many rabbis can say, you know what, I'm so much in control of my temper, I'll never lose my temper. Hillel was the kind of person who never lost his temper. That's amazing. He was the most patient. He was the most easygoing person you ever saw in that generation, at least. Hillel was one of the most easygoing people. So what happened is two Jews had a wager, make a wager. Who can make Hillel lose his temper? Unbelievable. Going to make the rabbi lose his temper. So one guy says, I'll wager 400 zoos, which is a tremendous amount of money. Uh, Hadgadia says you could buy a, a goat for two zoos. Trey zoos, two goats, two zoos. So 400 zoos is 200 goats. That's a, that's a big, uh, that's a big flock. That's a millionaire. This guy's a millionaire, really. He has a flock of sheep that big. Anyway, so what happened is two guys have a wager. One of them, I'm not going to say the whole story. It's just a long story. If you look at the Gemara, it's in Shabbat, Daf Lamed Aleph, Aleph, beautiful story over there, and you can find it probably. Do a search for it. It's took a wager, who's going to make Hillel lose his temper? So one guy says, I'll make him lose his temper, 400 zoos on my bet. 
And the guy says, fine. The other guy says, fine. He goes on Erev Shabbat, the most busiest day for a Jew. Erev Shabbat, preparing for Shabbat, taking a shower, and Hillel is in the shower. And he bangs on Hillel's door. That should make you angry anyway. Someone starts banging on your door. Hillel, Hillel, where are you, Hillel? And Hillel wears his bathrobe, comes out. Yes, my son, what can I do for you? He asks him a silly question, a very silly question. Hillel says, gives a very calm answer, goes back into the shower. The guy comes back 10 minutes later, bangs on the door. Hillel, Hillel, Hillel. Hillel comes out in his bathrobe. Yes, my son. Don't try this on me, please. Actually, and he gives another uh, silly question, silly answer. And third time, and this time the, the guy gets frustrated. He loses his temper. He says, Hillel, I hope there are never going to be rabbis like you in Israel. Hillel says, why am I son? He says, because of you, I lost 400 zoos. I took a wager I could make you lose your temper. And Hillel says, it's better you lose your money, 400 zoos, than I lose my temper. It's better you lose your foreign zoos. I guess that made him even more angry, that guy. Okay. So now, it's interesting. The Gemara goes over here and brings some stories of Maaseb. Okay, Maaseb and Nochriyacha, a non-Jew. Shabbat Ifnei Shammai. First, he went to Shammai, because Shammai was the Abed. Who's going to convert you? The Beitin. So you go to the head of the Beitin, Shammai. Here he is. Amalo, he said to Shammai, Kama Torot Yeshnachem. How many Torahs do you have? We have two Torahs. We have the oral law and we have the written book. Torah He says, the written law, I believe. The oral law, it's all oral. Maybe you made it all up. Maybe the rabbis made it. You know, the many Jews today have said the rabbis made it all up. So, but here, read this. Come on. The, 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 the non-Jews said the same thing. He said, maybe the rabbis made it up. I don't believe in the oral law. So what happened? So, so, so convert me, says, on condition that I learn the written law. Garbo. Shammai started screaming at him. Get out of here. He came before Hillel. Okay, lucky he came to Hillel. Can you imagine? Oh, he just run away and say, heck with <laughs> becoming Jewish. Barbna Hillel. Hillel converted him. He says, you know, he says, I'm willing to learn the written law, but I'm not willing to learn the oral law. And Hillel converted him. Yomachkama, the first day, obviously the guy wants to learn the written law. He comes to Hillel. That was a condition. You're going to learn the written law. He comes to Hillel on the first day. And Hillel is teaching him. This is Aleph. This is Bet. This is Gimel. This is Dalit. I'm teaching you how to read. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit. The second day, Amale, he, te- he tells him the reverse order. This is, he says the Aleph is Dalit. The Bet is Gimel. The Gimel is Bet. And the Dalit is Aleph. He twisted everything around the second day. So the, the non-Jew, he was pretty smart. He said, listen, you told me the opposite yesterday. You told me the opposite. How can you, how can you teach me the opposite? One day this is Aleph, one day this is Aleph. So that's says, oh, I want to teach you now. The reason why you believe me is this is oral law. It's not written anywhere what the Aleph is. Everyone agrees. This is Aleph. It's oral. It's an oral tradition that Aleph is Aleph and Bet is Bet and Gimel is The shape is the, le- the letter. So I changed it deliberately to teach you the lesson that you are relying on me and I'm relying on the oral law. And therefore, you have to also believe in the oral law. So that's, uh, that's it. That's the end of the story. The story is the non-Jew accepted now the written law and the oral law because of Hillel's treatment and how Hillel taught him um, and uh, educated him.
Shuv Maaseh. Another story. Nochri Yachad Shebarev Neshama. Again, the non-Jew goes to Shammai first. Amar Le'egareni. Avenach Te'eshtelemadeni. Kola Torah. Kula Barekarechad. He said, teach me the whole Torah on one foot. This is a famous story. Nanji goes to Shammai, teach me the whole Torah on one foot. We said Shammai was a builder. What does he have in his hand? He had a measurement stick of an amma. An amma is your, uh, from the elbow to the fingers. Amma. He has a measurement stick in his hand. Shammai is mad. This guy, what are you talking about? Teach me the Torah on one foot. It takes a lifetime, and even then, not enough to the Torah. So he takes his amma and pushes him away with his amma. That's what the Gemara says. He pushes him away with the amma. He said, get out of here. So what happened? Luckily, when Andrew goes to Hillel, teach me the whole Torah on one foot. Hillel says, what happens? Hillel Gairei. Hillel converted him. I said, okay, now teach me the Torah on one foot. Okay, he's standing one foot. He's standing one foot. And Hillel says, what you don't like, don't do to others. But you yourself don't want others to do to you, don't do to others. And this is a negative uh, part of the Aftarach It is do to your friend what you want others to do for you. So Hillel over here is not saying the Aftarach It's interesting. He doesn't say that. He says the negative. Don't do to others what you don't want others to do to you. And that's the whole Torah. And the rest is all commentary. Vida Perushahu. Zil Gamor. Go and learn the Torah now. So this is interesting. How do you concentrate the Torah into one saying? It's interesting because there are Gemaras which talks about the different prophets and how they condense the Torah into main sayings. Um, I'm not going to go into the situation now, but it's interesting because it's a very fascinating story. It's a very deep story. What does it mean? Don't do to us, we don't want others to do to you. In other words, Hillel is saying that the point of the Torah is to perfect society. Hashem wants us to perfect society, obviously, under God. And that's how we end off the Alein Shabbat. That's the last line of Alein Shabbat. Fix the world under the kingship of God. So basically, what is the point of the Torah? It's to make us better human beings. The person's not a better human being. They're learning Torah and they're not better human beings. The Gemara says it's a gold ring in the nose of a pig. And you know what we think about pigs. So a gold ring, the Torah is like a ring, a gold ring. But the guy's not behaving properly, so he's acting like a pig. And therefore, it's like a, a gold ring in the nose of a pig. Anyway, so if a person's going to make himself better, learning to actually make a person better should be able to help us perfect society. And that's what Hillel told the non-Jew, and that's why he converted him. Shuma So another story, this is the third story, the last story the Gemara brings down. Um, so a person who was a, a non-Jew is walking past the bed drash. Now it's interesting. Sometimes Jews, you know, the big yeshiva make a lot of noise. Can you imagine a big yeshiva? I, I mean, gates it. I mean, the gates it. Massive noise. You're on a street full of non-Jews. They can't help but hearing this tumult inside. You go next to the windows and you can hear maybe a conversation here, a conversation there. What are these Jews talking about? So this non-Jew was very curious. What are they talking about in the bed drash? And he hears uh, the, uh, he read the parasha being read about these garments. So he's reading one of the last parashot in Shemot. He hears someone reading the parashot in Shemot. The last parashot deals with the garments of the Kohen Gadol. These are the clothes which you make. The Hoshin, the Afod, all different parts of the suits of the Kohen Gadol. He says, wow, what beautiful garments. So he goes to Shammai. He says, Shammai says, he says, Shammai. He says, 
I want to wear these garments. And Shammai says, get out of here. The only garments of a going gadol. You're not a going gadol. Get out of here. So he says, you know what? And let me go to Hillel. Thank God he went to Hillel. So he goes to Hillel. He says, Hillel, convert me so that I can wear the garments of a going gadol. So Hillel says, sure, no problem. He converted him. And he started teaching him. Until eventually, the, the person himself realized that not even a regular Jew can wear the garments of a Kohen Gadol. Not even a regular Kohen can wear garments of a Kohen Gadol. Only one person is chosen to be Kohen Gadol can wear those garments. And he came of that realization by himself through his learning. And uh, so it was good that Hillel converted him. So what happens now? This is a beautiful ending of these stories. That, uh, and that is these three converts eventually met one day. And they had a conversation about their experiences. So I just want to tell you what they said. Amale, he said, this convert, Anvatan Hillel, you humble person, Hillel, may Hashem give you blessings on your head. You brought me under the wings of the Shekhinah of Hashem. All these sweet converts gathered together one day, somehow met. And they said, this is what they said. The, uh, what do we say, the Kabdanut, uh, the uh, stickler of Shammai, Shammai the stickler, nearly made us lose the world. The next word, obviously. And the humility of Hillel, the patience of Hillel. And that's why the Mishnah says, what we're going to see. Uh, that we should try and emulate the humility of Hillel. We should try and emulate this idea of being uh, easygoing, um, having a slow fuse, not a, a long fuse, not a short fuse, and uh, emulating this uh, path of Hillel. So it's very important. Beautiful stories about Hillel. They don't say any stories about me. <laughs> they don't say any stories about pretty much anyone else I've heard of, but they do say any stories of Hillel. Okay. So let's go now to. Uh, a little bit of history. So we said Hillel was born in 10, 110 BCE, and he passed away at 10 CE. He started learning again, very similar to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was a few generations later than Hillel. Rabbi Akiva was a student of the students of Hillel. He was uh, two generations later than Hillel. And uh, Hillel, eventually what happens is, Hillel was able to answer a question that the neighbor who became the heads of the Sanhedrin after Shemayan Aftalion passed away, they didn't know what happened was Erev Pesach fell on Shabbat. Now, if Erev Pesach falls on Shabbat, now, if Erev Pesach falls on a weekday, what do you have to do? You have to bring your Korban Pesach to the temple. You have to bring your Paschal lamb, which is not a Jewish term, the Paschal lamb, but that's how we translate the Pesach sacrifice to the temple on the 14th of Nisan. After midday, uh, it's got to be slaughtered after nine and nine and a half hours of the day. Sorry, uh, six and a half hours of the day is the Korban Tamid. And when it falls on a Friday, and uh, after that, after the Korban Tamid, so around, say, uh, seven hours of the day, which is around one o'clock, 1 p.m., they started slaughtering the Korban Pesach on behalf of all the Jews. Each one, each Chabura, each group of Jews who would eat that Korban Pesach would bring their Paschal lamb. The Kohanim would slaughter it. They'd uh, clean it, take out the skin, they'd, they'd, they'd take out all the fats and the, uh, and the intestines, wash it, 
and put the fats on the altar to burn the fats and give back the meat and the innards, the intestines, which are now washed back to the Jews, take home and roast before Friday night, before Shabbat. But what happens if Erev Pesach falls on Shabbat itself? Are you allowed to bring the Korban on Shabbat? And obviously that entails burning it, slaughtering it, all these are prohibited actions on Shabbat. So the answer, no one knew the answer. B'nai B'tera did not know the answer until Hillel told them, of course, Pesach is Doche Shabbat. The Koran Pesach pushes Shabbat. The Koran Pesach is very, very important. It's as important as Brit Milah. How do we know? Because there's two mitzvot. There's only two positive mitzvot in the whole Torah. Usually they're negative mitzvot, which in, K, in, in which a person doesn't do these uh, or breaks the mitzvot, then there's karet. The soul is cut off. There's only two positive mitzvot with a penalty of karet. And that is a person that does Brit Milah. And number two is a person who never ate the Koran Pesach on Pesach, or never brought the Koran Pesach on Pesach. And they never brought it on the Pesach Sheni either, the second Pesach. So then there's karet for not eating Koran Pesach. And there's karet for Brit Milah. Two positive mitzvot with karet shows that they're the most important positive mitzvot. They're the most important positive mitzvot. And they both push Shabbat. They both push aside Shabbat. In other words, you can do Brit on Shabbat, as we know. It is the eighth day and other conditions. And number two is you can bring your Korban Pesach on Shabbat. That's amazing. They were bringing the Korban Pesach on Shabbat. Um, they weren't allowed to carry. They would just bring it, make it walk. And they weren't allowed to carry the knives, either the shechita knives, the sheep would carry it on its back and uh, bring it. Anyway, and they weren't allowed to carry the meat home before Shabbat was over. So just wait there till Shabbat's over and then bring the meat home and, and then roast it after Shabbat for the Motzeh Shabbat. Okay, so that's why they appointed Hillel as the Nasi. B'nai B'tera were humble enough to say, you know what, you, you know more than us, we're going to make you the Nasi. Now, Hillel obviously started a school, and Shammai started a school. Now, let me ask you a question. Which school is going to be more popular? One school, the master was a stickler. And if you got anything wrong, or you didn't think you were paying attention, he'd scream at you and shout at you, maybe throw you out for a day, expel you for a day, suspend you, who knows what's going to happen. And that was Shammai's school. And Hillel's school, very easygoing. You have a question, patience, and sweetness, and love. And that's how he learned Torah, and that's how he taught Torah. So Hillel's school was massive. Shammai's school was very small. And we know the halacha is like the majority opinion. It's interesting. The guys with the biggest yeshivot, they're going to win. Why are they going to win? Because most of the rabbis are going to be from them. And most rabbis going out in the world and teaching people, they can have tremendous impact. If you have a small yeshiva, maybe higher quality, but there's rest rabbis, and therefore there's less impact in society. Hillel had a tremendous impact in society through his yeshiva. Beit Hillel, Beit Hillel is yeshiva. Now, what's also interesting is Shammai and Hillel very rarely argued about halacha. There's only three cases I know about that they argue about halacha, but their students argue more than 300 times. Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel are always arguing. Finally, the Mishnah is full of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel arguments. And in the majority, vast majority of cases, Halacha follows Beit Hillel. Why? Because we said they would take a vote in the Sanhedrin, and the majority of the Sanhedrin were from the house of Hillel, from the school of Hillel. And that's why the school of Hillel, the Halacha, became like the school of Hillel. Um, apart from the fact that the Bat Kol, we said, we talked about uh, this idea of... Uh, a bit of Ruach HaKodesh was still in the generation, Hashem says, Halacha is like Beit Hillel. Not because they were smarter than Shammai, they weren't. 
the, the students of Shammai would raise a shah. Um, they had a stickler for a teacher that knew their information backwards and forwards, but because they were mild-mannered and easygoing, and they put the opinion of Beit Shammai before their own opinion. Imagine when someone asked them a question, they said, Beit Shammai says this, and Beit Hillel says this. They would have put Beit Shammai before them. They had that. So Hashem says, you know, the halachas like Beit Hillel. And this is, this is a, a machloket, which is called the machloket b'shem shamayim. They argued not for the sake of ego. They didn't argue for ego. They argued for the sake of heaven to find the truth. So Beit Shammai thought their viewpoint was true, and Beit Hillel thought their viewpoint was true. There was no ego involved. They were good friends. The, the, they married each other, uh, usually. So Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, two different schools, and each one had their own school. And uh, he says Hillel had 80 students in his school, 80 students. And these students, it says, each one were a great rabbi. 30 of them were so great. They were worthy. It says if they were at the time, lived at the time of Joshua, they could make the, the, sun, the sun stand still. We know that Joshua, when he, uh, when he had a fight with the Canaanites, he was fighting and then it got dark. So he said, Hashem, please don't let the sun set. He made the sun stand still. The sun would not set. 30, 30 of the 80 rabbis were living in the time of Joshua. It says they would have the merit also to stop the sun from setting. Wow, that's amazing. Um, another 30 was said to be worthy of prophecy on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. Wow. The final 20 were on intermediate level. Including among them was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka, who was meant to be the smallest of the students of Hillel. And he became the chief rabbi after Hillel. So the smallest student of Hillel was greater than anyone else. And he became the chief rabbi afterwards. The greatest of the students of Hillel we mentioned last week was Yonatan ben Uziel, who is buried in Amuka, which is where people go if you want to get married. That's where you go, Amuka. It's a singular to find a, a husband or wife. Okay. So the two schools, Beit Shammai Beit Hillel. Hillel is a man of kindness. We said we talked about his level of patience and the story about the patience, the converts. And now I want to go through some of his sayings in Pirkei Avot, because this is where, that's the reason why I'm talking about Hillel, because now we're, we're learning Pirkei Avot in the, time, the weeks between Pesach and Shavuot. So uh, in uh, chapter one, Mishnah Yud Bet, Mishnah 12 of, of Pirkei Avot, Hillel and Shammai Kiblu Mehen. From the pairs of rabbis we said, Shmaya Naftali was the last, it was number, number four, and Hillel and Shammai were number five of the pairs of uh, rabbis who are in charge of the Jewish people, halachically. Hillel Omer. This is the statement of Hillel in the Mishnah in Perkei Avot, chapter 1, Mishnah 12. It's a very, very famous Mishnah. Be of the students of Aharon. Aharon was the brother of Moshe Rabbeinu. And we know Aharon was a great, tremendously great character he was, uh, this is the role model of Hillel. How did Hillel learn to be such a mild-mannered, uh, patient person? And the answer is, you learned it from Aaron. And he's telling his students, be like Aaron as well. My role model was Aaron, the brother of Moshe. It's hard to imagine. To be an older brother and to watch your younger brother achieve fame and power. And you have to listen to your younger brother and help him achieve greatness. And you yourself are not really recognized. And it says Aaron was happy to meet Moshe. Aaron was waiting to greet Moshe. 
and happy for Moshe. He never had a, a single thought of jealousy of his younger brother. That's amazing. Aaron was known to be running after peace. He saw people fighting. He would go to make peace between them. Um, and uh, so trying to make peace between everyone. If you're fighting, Aaron would come. So that's the Hillel says. Try and be the student of Aaron. Take Aaron as your role model. That's why you put students. Your rabbi is your role model. Make peace between people. Search for peace. And run after, chase after peace. Okay. So, so the Avod Rabbi Natan, he says, how did Aaron love peace and chase peace? If he taught two people fighting, he would go to one of them and sit with him and say, you know what, my son, you know, your friend, you know, he says, he says, I was, I was very much in anguish. I lost my temper. I'm so sorry. And I want to make friends with this person. And he goes to the other person and say the same thing. You know, the, you know, the other guy is so sorry. He ripped his clothes. He was in a bad mood. He wants to make friends with you. And when they saw each other on the street, they would hug each other. Because each one thought they want to make friends with each other. Okay. So that is loving peace and chasing peace. Oh, heaven, the briot, love people. Why? Because people were created by God. If you love God, you must love people. Because people are the, the creations of Hashem. So Hashem wants us to love people. So he says, oh, yeah. Love of God's creatures. Karvana Torah. How do you love someone? If you really love someone, who is the classic person who is called God's friend? And the answer is Abraham Avinu. Yeshayahu says, Abraham Avinu was Ohavi. Ohavi Hashem says, he's my beloved. He loved me. So Gemara says, what did he do to love God? And the answer is, he wanted to share God with the world. If you love someone, what's the highest, biggest present you can give them? And the answer is the biggest present you give them is knowledge of Hashem. Knowledge of Hashem and a way to attain the next world. The next world is forever. We have no concept of what that means. Rabbi Desla says in Strife for Truth, in Miftah Meriahu, he says, we have to learn to envision what forever means. And just imagine yourself counting the grains of sand on the beaches. One, two, three, four, and trillions and trillions and trillions. As there's a saying, because there's a, about as much sand on the seashores as there are stars in the universe. That's the uh, latest, I know what it is. It's, uh, it's uh, 10 to, I don't know how many, 11, 11 zeros. 10 to the power of 11, I think it is, or 17, I can't remember exactly. It's research, but it's approximately as much sand and the seashores as there are stars in the sky. How do we know? Because the Torah says, Hashem blessed the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov, to be like the stars of the sky and the sand by the sea. And it's apparently, for many years, we didn't know they were about the same amount. But today, with telescopes and everything, you can see it's the same amount, pretty much. Amazing. So love God's creatures and give them a present. What's the present? Mikarvan the Torah. Bring them close to the Torah. This way, they'll have a vehicle to earn their next words. Very, very important. And then he says, he continues. You can go through this Mishnah yourself. I'm not going to go through all of them. Very, very famous Mishnah. And that is, there is a dichotomy. We have to worry about ourselves. But we shouldn't be selfish. We have to also worry about others. Where do you draw the balance? Where is the balance between you, yourself, and others? For example, married, children, spouse. Grandchildren, where do you draw the balance? How much do I give for myself, my time, my energy, my devote, my money to myself? And how much do I devote to 
my family? And then how much do I devote to my family? And how much do I devote to the community? How much do I devote to the community? And how much do I devote to the broader community? That's the question. Hillel says, Everything starts with me. I have to look after myself. I have to look after my own interests first. So it says, You have to love your friend as you love yourself. People don't realize that. That means you have to love yourself. I can't love my friend as myself if I don't love myself. Uh, that's a, one of the biggest mistakes people make is they don't love themselves. Yeah, it says Rabbi Tversky, I love Shalom, just passed away. Abraham Tversky, famous 60 books. He said, if there's one theme that links all my books, and that is the theme of self-esteem. He said, that is the biggest problem in our generation, our psychological problem, self-esteem. We don't love ourselves. We have to learn to love ourselves. A lot of people love themselves. They don't love anyone else. Anyway, you have to draw a balance. That's what Hillel says. Number one is you come first. You know, it says when you're on the airplane, uh, when you're going to be on the airplane next, uh, hopefully soon, we'll all be on airplanes. You're going like you were before, traveling here, traveling there. Unless you're in Israel already, you don't have to travel anywhere. Unless there's a simcha somewhere, Bezrat Hashem. We should all have smachot, Bezrat Hashem, or have smachot, enjoy smachot, and be on airplanes for smachot, or on our way to Israel, Bezrat Hashem. Everyone will be able to come, Bezrat Hashem. Soon, everyone should get their shots and come to Israel. So, uh, on the plane, they tell you, if you have a child, so if the oxygen mask ever fall down, they should fall down. Always put your mask on first and then your child's mask. Because of this statement of Hillel, it's not, obviously, I don't know what Hillel says, but it's based on this concept is if you can't look after yourself, how can you look after your child? You have to make sure that you are healthy, that you are well off, that you are satisfied, and you are strong, and then you can worry about other people. That's what Hillel's saying. It may not leave if I don't look after my own interests. No one's going to look after them. Oh, Shanile, that's me. But if I'm totally selfish, money, what am I? How can a person be totally selfish? Uh, Judaism is all about giving. It really is. It's a very giving religion. And you know what? The root of the word ahava, love, is have. Have in Aramaic is give. Have, 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 give, give, give. A person will not get married if they don't know how to give. A person will not have children if they don't know how to give. A person will not be friendly to society. They don't know how to give. It's so hard to go to shul today because you go to shul. I mean, thank God in Israel, shuls are open pretty much regular. Everything's regular. And every few minutes, there's another guy coming around, collecting money. And if you're not a giver, you know, a guy will say, you know what? Just stay away from shul. You can't anymore. So a person that learns to give us It's amazing. It's amazing how Jews are givers because if we're just takers, who are you? What kind of person are you? That's what he loves saying. If I can't look after my own interests, no one's going to look after them. And if all I do is look after my interests, I'm a selfish person, egotistic person. You know, there's a very interesting mitzvah in the Torah. It says, this concept of pill, growing one's sideburns that you is not allowed to shave the sideburns off, even though it's one of the later uh, uh, fads and fashions. You know, these fashions come, they grow so fast. Uh, one time is shave uh, just uh, the hairline above the ear and shave everything off. So uh, we're not allowed to do that. Why? The Torah says, Don't go around the corners of your head. Don't go around the corners of your head. That's what the old friars, remember the friars, they're around still. They would do that. They would have this haircut uh, around their, their head. And the Torah says, don't do that. Don't go around your head. Literally, it means don't go around your head. 
So it's interesting because the way the Torah says it is, it says, don't be egocentric. That's what Hillel is saying. Hillel is saying, you have to look after your own interests. But don't be egocentric and also think about other people as well. You look after your interests, move on to look after other people's interests. And that's why it's good to get married. That's why it's good to have children because then a person practices giving. A person practices giving to others. Shammai says, okay, I'm not going to go into Shammai because that's a whole different class. class. And then we go to chapter two. Look out. And here we come to, in the middle of Mishnah 4, of chapter 2 of Pirkei Avot. If you have it in front of you, it's even better. Hillel Omer, al-tifrosh min Don't keep away from the community. It's very important for a Jew to always be part of a community. You know, community is very important. Minyan, community. Why? Because what stops intermarriage? What stops assimilation? And the answer is to have a community around you, not to be alone in the world. A Jew should never feel alone because we have Hashem with us, but also never feel alone societally. A Jew should always have a, a minyan around them, have a shul around them, always be part of a community, be part of Israel, be part of the community of Israel. And uh, otherwise what happens is, okay, so Hillel says, Why? So before we get into Atamim Batsmah, which is very, very important, Hillel says, why? Because when the Sibur is making Teshuva, if I'm not part of a community uh, on the 10 days of repentance, I don't know what the Teshuva is. When the community is celebrating, I'm not part of their celebrations. How many, how many Jews in Chutzvah celebrate Yom Atzvah? I mean, how many people? So those who are part of communities who know what's going on will celebrate. Those who are not part of communities will celebrate. And so we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate Pesach, our festivals. How many Jews in Chutzlar celebrate Shavuot? No one even heard of Shavuot. What is Shavuot? No one's ever heard of Shavuot. And we have to teach them. We have to teach them. So you have to be part of a community. Celebrate with the community and mourn with the community. And then you know that you are part of the Jewish people. By being part of the community, you're part of the Jewish people. That's our linkage to the Jewish people. Persons should not trust in themselves. Person says, you know, I've been a tzaddik all my life. I grew up a tzaddik and I been a tzaddik all my life. Been learning Torah all my life. Been taught all my life. Yeah, but you can't guarantee it. He says. Hillel says, I've seen people. The Gemara says, Yohanan Kohen Gadol. He served in the temple for eighty years. It's very hard to imagine, right? He's like hundred years old now, serving in the temple eighty years, and he became a saduki. He became a Sadducee, which is what we pray in Lavinim Mashnim. Shover Zedim. The Zedim Rashi Ramam says are the Sadducees. So he became a Sadducee, which is a denier of the oral law. Eighty years in the, in the Holy of Holies at Yom Kippur, and eighty years later, Hillel says, "I've seen it. I've seen people swayed when they get older. They may have been Sadikim all their lives, but their lives till the life is over completely. Person doesn't know where they stand. We can't trust ourselves. It's very easy. Unfortunately, today." It's, it's getting easier and easier. A person wants to sin it so easy. A touch of a button, flippers of a switch, a person can do things that they could never do before. So a person should be careful and not trust in their greatness or their uh, spiritual greatness until the day of one's death, even after the death. And don't judge others unless, you know, what is, what is the English saying say? Don't judge other people until you're standing in their shoes. Based on this Hillel phrase, don't judge others until you are in his place, until you reach their place, which is the same thing. Until you're standing in their shoes, 
you're under the same uh, kind of uh, desire and uh, compulsion and evil inclination situation, you can't judge other people, you can't judge others. Uh, the only people are allowed to judge are the judges. The only thing we're allowed to judge is, should I associate with this person or not? Because we have to be, we have to be far-sighted. And that's a different mission. Okay. And don't say, when I have time, I will learn Torah. Maybe you won't have time. Hillel says, don't delay. Don't delay. So a lot of people delay, you know. Most people say, you know, when I retire, I time, the yeshiva. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe yes, maybe not. Who says the person will be alive? Who says the person will have time? Who says the person will be well enough to go to yeshiva? And sit down. It's not easy. Listen, I'm trying. <laughs> if I sit for two hours, <laughs> it's very hard to sit and concentrate. Two hours, three hours a day, four hours a day, five hours. How, many, how much time can a, a person sit and, and focus? So it's, it's very hard. Anyway, I'm going to end off. I'll just end off with one more gem. There's so much to talk about. It's amazing. So Hilal says, look at what Hilal says. He's a classic teacher. He says, a person who is embarrassed to ask questions, especially in those days, there were no books. So whatever you don't ask, you're not going to learn. And therefore, today, much less so, you just Google it. Yeah. Rabbi Google, unfortunately, a person going to be very careful where they get the answers from. There's Christians out there, missionaries, uh, a person going to be very careful. So H.com, you have H.com, you have Orso you have others who give the Torah answers. A person be very careful. But in those days, if you didn't ask questions, he says, if you're a stickler, don't be a teacher. A person who's a stickler, you've got to be easygoing, you've got to be friendly. You've got to make the Torah. We have to make the Torah. Rabbis have to make the Torah user-friendly. We'll all follow the dictates of Hillel. We'll learn about the dictates of Hillel. It's in chapter one and chapter two of Rukia Avod. Please study it if you haven't studied already the Shabbat. And uh, next week, we'll have another interesting class. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.